0: there we really hope you enjoy this teaching from the message to find out more about all the exciting things we're doing and how you can get involved check out our website message.org.uk good morning and welcome to message mornings here from the message trust in manchester i'm ben jack delighted to be with you Today, wherever you're tuning in around the world, whether you're tuning in live on this wonderful Friday morning, the weekend is almost upon us, or whether you're tuning in at any other time, treat it like it's the weekend and have some fun. Um, And it's so good to have some people in the room today. This is amazing. Uh, It's only been a few times over the last year that I've actually had physical human beings in the room. We've had to can the laughter in on an audio track instead of just having the the reality of an awkward silence when I try attempt to be funny. So you're going to get the awkward silences today, which is good. Although, Pete's in the room and I'm, uh, he's literally employed to laugh at my jokes. So hopefully he'll do his job properly this morning. <laughs> there you go, thank you. We do need to work on his laugh, it's very odd. Uh, it sounds like the witch from the Wizard of Oz, that's odd. Um, so this morning, we're going to be jumping into a new series. And I'm very excited about this series because um, it's, uh, it's a letter that often gets missed. Uh, We're going to be looking at Jude. And just before we started this, we were having a conversation, a couple of us that were in the room about what this series was going to be called. And people inevitably are like, are you going to call it Hey Jude? And I'm like, I wonder how many preachers actually uh, through history have preached on Jude? And I've thanked the Beatles for giving them the title for their talk. I'm not going to do that because um, it's, it's too obvious, isn't it? So we're, my series is going to be called Yo Jude instead. And we're going to make it slightly youthy and fun. Pete right on cue for the canned laughter. Thank you. Um, so this little letter often goes unnoticed by a lot of Christians, actually. And I think the reason why it goes unnoticed is because of where it's placed in the Bible. I was actually talking to a friend this week. Uh, Christian who's been Christian for a few years now and uh, I said oh yeah I'm doing a series on on Jude and they stopped and they went Jude Jude yeah do you know what I'm not sure that I've ever actually read the letter of Jude before and I was like it doesn't surprise me in some ways because it's tucked away in this in right at the back of the New Testament between what I call the WhatsApp letters of uh, of John, which is Second and Third John, so short. Like the rest of the epistles, if they were written today, feel like they feel like they're emails. Um, but but these Second and Third John, they're they're like WhatsApp message. They're highly personal. They're super short. Andy did a great job expanding from those a few months ago. Do dig those talks out and go and have a look at what he said about them. But because they're quite short and and odd little letters in terms of how they communicate what they're communicating. We, we kind of get to those and we're like, oh, is it starting to taper off a bit at the end of the New Testament. And then we, on the other side of, of Jude, we have the divine mysteries of Revelation, which freaks some people out and they kind of read a few pages into Revelation. And they're like, oh, this is all a bit strange. There's lots of fiery goings on and dragons and things. And I'm, I'm, I think I'm not sure if I understand how to read this. I'll save it for another day. Sandwiched between these WhatsApp letters of John and Revelation is Jude. And, and it, it gets missed. But part of the challenge um, of missing one of the books of the Bible is that we don't get the riches of what the Bible has to offer, especially in this wonderful little uh, look. It's a book. It's a massive loss if we don't dig into Jude, and we're going to discover why that is over the next few weeks. So who actually wrote Jude? Who is this Jude fella that we're hearing from, or, or more specifically, uh, Jude Judah? is his full name, uh, or or even a variant, Judas. Uh, It's one of those names that has uh, different versions, a little bit like Ben or Benjamin or Benjamin or something like that. It's different versions of the same name that point us in the direction of who this person is. And and crucially, as we read the text, we can discover that this is one of Jesus's brothers. And I love that this letter is is written. Most likely, it's always a little bit tricky to say 100% for sure, but we're like very, very confident that this is written by one of Jesus's brothers, Jude. Uh, in the same way that James another of his brothers wrote his uh, letter as well. And I did a series on that uh, a couple of years ago that you can go and, go and check out as well. And I love the letters of James and, jo- uh, James and Jude, partly because of, uh, of course, what they say and the treasure that they have for us, but partly because of who wrote them and the story and the testimony behind the fact that you have two brothers here who, when Jesus was living and breathing and walking and talking amongst his family, they thought he was crazy. They they literally, I think, thought he was schizophrenic. They probably didn't have any concept or understanding of of how we understand something like schizophrenia today, psychologically and medically. But they they clearly had concerns about Jesus and and who he thought that he was and the way that he lived his life. And there's a few places in in the Bible where their interactions with him point out that they, number one, clearly didn't think that he was who he was claiming to be or, or putting himself forward to be the Messiah, certainly not God, even his his own disciples didn't have a grasp on that reality at first. But beyond just thinking, oh, he's got a few ideas above his station, it seems in the text that they actually thought that he might be mentally unwell, that there might be something psychologically wrong with him because of the things that he was saying, the things that he was doing. And yet, move forward in the story, post-death and resurrection— Post-Jesus Ascension, we just celebrated, if you're watching this live today on the Friday, we just celebrated Ascension Day yesterday in the church calendar. Jesus returning to heaven and promising His Spirit to dwell within us so that we can live the lives that we are called to live as we turn To trust in him. And post ascension, as the church is now being formed and and disciples are being made and the gospel is going out to all the world, there's, there's two brothers who are writing letters for the early church who used to think that Jesus was crazy and now they think that he is God. Some might think that they are crazy for believing it, but they wouldn't care about that because they are absolutely convinced that this man that they shared that they didn't share in terms of being twins but shared a womb with in terms of coming from the same mother have a biological link to grew up with knew intimately as their brother that this was no ordinary man they once thought that but now they believe that he is the king of the universe what a transformation what could lead somebody from thinking what, you're, you're a crazy person to thinking, no, you are exactly who you say you are? We see this in movies sometimes, like uh, movies about Santa Claus or something like that, where, where Santa Claus comes into the real uh, uh, world that we live in, and, uh, and he's going about their business day by day. And, and people look at them and go, well, you're, you're, you're crazy for thinking that you're Santa Claus. We, we think that Santa Claus is a, is a myth. You must be mad if you really think you're Santa Claus. And then in these fictional films, over time it is revealed that, no, he's not actually the crazy one, and through a series of convoluted events, they come to discover that he, he truly is the, the real Santa Claus. No oh, no, it turns out you." Are. And we see a change in their attitude. Those are fictional films. The reality of the truth and the word of God tells us that this has happened on the most important scale and level that it could happen. The transforming of a person's mind from thinking that a person is mad to a person being God and that that is significant because if that person truly is God rather than mad, it changes everything. And it changed everything for James as he went on to then lead the church in Jerusalem, be ultimately killed for his belief in his brother being God. Being prepared to die for that truth, because it's the truth that matters above all others. It is the ultimate truth under which all other truth can be found and make sense. And the same is true for Jude here. What a transformation. And as we read this letter with that transformation in mind, he was a skeptic. He was someone who did not believe you. That was crazy. And now he's someone who's saying, Not only do I believe this is. God, who I will serve with my whole life. When we read this letter through that lens, man, it gives it just such an extra sparkle. Now, we don't know exactly who Jude was writing to, but we are very clear about what he was writing about over the five parts. We're going to unpack this little uh, letter in five parts. And It might seem like a very short letter. I mean, if if you've never read it, please do go read it. It will take you four minutes, tops, to get through it top to bottom. And yet, as we read it, we're going to see there's so much to unpack, I want to take a little bit of time to do that. We're going to see that we can take spiritual transfers from God to us and vice versa. And those spiritual transfers are available to us today. We're going to discover in this letter the power of spiritual intervention, very important. This letter is going to sober us about the false teaching and false living that can be around us, that can be in our own lives. Which is so destructive. That's actually the crux of Jude's theme in his letter. We're going to see that this letter can strengthen us to persevere in all situations of life. And we're going to see that this letter is ultimately and wonderfully going to leave us in a place of utter awe and wonder at the power, majesty, and love of God. This really is a remarkable little letter. I'm so excited to adventure it through it with you over the coming weeks. So let's do that today by jumping into verses one and two and let's pray to begin. Father, Thank you for this precious gift. The precious gift of a testimony of your own brother, Lord Jesus, thinking that you were crazy and eventually coming to realize you were far from crazy. You're the sanest person who ever lived. You are the way, the truth, and the life. And our hope is found in you. Our convoluted and challenged thoughts and minds can find rest and peace. We're very aware that this is Mental Health Awareness Week. We don't want to be trivial about the idea of people struggling with their thought processes. With, with anxieties, with difficulties in their mind in any way, shape, or form. No, we want to take those things seriously. And the ultimate way that we can take them seriously is to bring them to you and say, Lord, would you help bring peace to our minds? You brought peace to Jude's mind. Would you bring peace to our mind today, we pray. As we read this precious letter together, would you feed us from your word? Speak to us, we pray, in Jesus' name. Amen. So Jude, verses 1 and 2. Jude a servant of Jesus Christ and a brother of James, to those who have been called, who are loved in God the Father and kept for Jesus Christ, mercy, peace, and love be yours in abundance." The summer transfer window is about to open in the in the English football world and in other football territories as well. If you're not familiar with football, I don't know, some people don't like the football uh, metaphors that get thrown up, but bear with me today because I think this one actually is a suitable one for us to, to jump into. Let me explain how the transfer window works if you don't quite understand, know, or care about it at all. Uh, basically twice a year in the footballing calendar, uh, teams in the English uh, Football League have uh, the, the, the opportunity to buy or sell or even trade trade swap players, or they can take a player on loan for a a period of time. Uh, It's called a a transfer of some variety. And we're about to head into the summer transfer window, which runs from the end of the season, kind of June time through to the the start, or a couple weeks into the start, I forget exactly these days, because they keep changing it when it runs to. But it's around about September time that it runs. And this is the period of time when you have the opportunity, as a sporting team who wants to succeed, you have the opportunity to strengthen your team. You have the opportunity to make good decisions and good choices about who you bring into the midst of your team, to be part of that team, but also, hopefully, to have some individual excellence that will help you grow and develop. And the most exciting part of transfer, uh, the transfer window, other than when your team hopefully signs a great player, is transfer deadline day. It's the last day of the window. For some reason, I don't know whether it's just to keep things exciting and salty, uh, but the teams seem to wait often until the very last day until they do their business. And so if anybody's ever seen one of the sports uh, news networks on that day, they'll have coverage all day. They'll be going in the deadlines at 11 PM, and then they're still, after 11 PM, working. did people get their paperwork in time? And it's exciting to get line of duty. The real excitement is transfer deadline day. You haven't known true excitement until you've seen Harry Redknapp in a Range Rover driving out of a training ground talking to Sky Sports News on transfer deadline day. This is the real deal for a football fan. It's so exciting. I've been following Uh, YouTube accounts over the years uh, for my team Leeds United that during the transfer window give speculation about oh who might we be signing and it's all part of the fun of oh I wonder if we're gonna get that person and it's rumors and it's speculation and then hopefully some concrete reality yes we got a new player why do we want new players because we might not be good enough to succeed and if we want a new player, if, if next season we want to try and get a European football place, which is the, the great prize, uh, other than winning the, the title itself, or, or, or we want to strengthen our squad enough so that we don't get relegated and drop down the divisions, which is so painful. So these transfers are important because they could be the difference between success and failure. But the truth is that there is a spiritual transfer window that is always open. It doesn't have a season between May and September or in January or something like that. It's a spiritual transfer window that is always open. It's God's invitation for us to transfer something lesser for something greater. If you're making a transfer in the football world, you're never quite sure, are we getting a good deal? We're spending millions of pounds to get a player in. What if they're a failure? What if they're a flop? Or I'm going to trade two players, one player that's not doing so well for our team. I'm going to trade him and we'll get another player from another team. And again, hopefully they'll be great. But what if they are not good? What if they don't do what we need for them? What if it is a failure? But God, he offers a transfer window that never closes and is an absolute guarantee that you are going to give him something of no worth, of no value. Trash, rubbish, filth, uselessness, failure, sin, And he is going to give you in return something greater. It's worth more than success or failure in sport. It is literally a transfer window that could lead to life or death. Now, Jude opens his letter in pretty much the way that we would expect an epistle to open. He goes through the customary greetings of identifying himself and then offering the greeting of peace. And yet, if we dig beneath the customaries and we discover what uh, is found in just these first two opening passages, we can see that there are actually three, at least three, we'll just look at three today, three spiritual transfers that Jude offers us on behalf of God. The first transfer that Jude offers us is the transferring of lordship. Look at how Jude opens his letter. He says, Jude, that's, that, that's me. He's saying, that's who I am. I'm identifying myself. Who am I? A servant Of Jesus Christ. Jesus says in the Sermon on the Mount that you you cannot serve two masters. You're gonna have to decide in life who it is that you serve, what you give your life to, what you make your life about, what you let sit on the throne of your life. Jude is starting his letter by saying, I live now for one thing and one thing only it is service, relationship with Jesus Christ Himself. The transfer that is available to us in these very opening words is to stop and consider, what do we serve? Because I guarantee you, you serve something. What do we serve? God offers us a transfer that whatever we serve in life can be traded to serve him. And it might not sound like a good transfer. A transfer where I'm trading serving something for serving something else. Isn't there a transfer where I could stop serving something and instead be served by something? Well That would sounds like it would be a better transfer. But no, that would be a terrible transfer, because anything that serves you exclusively will be lesser. Why? Because there's no hope or future in something that serves you because you are finite. You have an end. You will expire, and an expiry is death. But God says, no, 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 don't serve yourself. Don't look for things to serve you. That's finite. That will come to an end. And because you don't have a perfect perspective on what service should be and how you should be served, that self-seekingness, that selfishness, that will just bring chaos into the world. That's no good. What you need to do actually is trade all of that serving, of of looking for people to serve you and, and, and letting other things serve in your life or serving other masters that aren't me, that are all finite, that are all roads to death. Stop serving those things. Give those things to me. And by serving me, you will be serving something eternal. And in serving something eternal and good and perfect and righteous, guess what? You will inherit those very things onto your being. You will become the things that you serve. If you serve selfishness, you will become selfish. If you serve pridefulness, you will become prideful. If you serve greed, you will become greedy. If you serve chaos, you will become a chaos maker. But God says, now I can make you a peacemaker if you serve me, the king of peace. You ever had to clear out your um, attic? You ever moved house? Have I had to do a clear out or anything? It can be very difficult for some people to have a clear out because you start looking through your boxes and they sit in your attic, you never touch them, you never go anywhere near them until the day you have to move and you look in the box and you're like, oh, I don't really want to throw that away. Because, you know, I have not been fishing since I was five years old with, with, with my granddad or something, but uh, 30 years later, I've still got that, that child's fishing rod. And, you know, one day I might want to go fishing. I, I'm, I'm in a landlocked country, and I don't live near the sea, and I, I don't have a passport. I'm not allowed to travel. But you never know. I might need it one day. And so we hold on to these things, and they kind of clutter up our attic space. All right, well, if you've got the attic space, I guess it doesn't matter that much. But what if you're cluttering your life? with idols and masters and things that you serve that push Jesus to the margins. What are you clinging on to in your life that is stopping God from being Lord? We just reflected on the great John Stott, what a churchman he was. And if you've never read any of John Stott's writings, I encourage you to go check some of them out. He was a remarkable man of God and wrote some wonderful books. And we just remembered here, hundred years since his birth, um, this past week and he wrote this he said when jesus is truly our lord he directs our lives and we gladly obey him let's put it another way we gladly serve him because you won't be able to serve if you don't obey indeed we bring every part of our lives under his lordship starts this our home and our family is that under the lordship of christ in your life Our sexuality and our marriage, is that under the lordship of Christ in your life? Our job, our unemployment, our money, our possessions, our ambitions and recreations, are those things under the lordship? If you're keeping other clutter in your life in any of those areas, allowing those things to serve you instead of giving them to God so you can serve Him, you are settling for something lesser. And lesser is always the path to death. But God has life for you. He says this morning... No, 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 no. Transfer it out to me. God offers to transfer all the clutter, all the idols, everything you've put your hope in as a Lord of your life for his eternal Lordship, the Lordship of life. You will choose a Lord of your life. The only question is what will that Lord be? Will it be a Lord that takes your life or a Lord that gives you life? The only Lord that will give you life is Jesus himself. Every other Lord tells us you can keep your life if you worship me. That's what every Lord in the world tells you. You'll keep life, you'll get life, you'll have satisfaction of life if you worship me. We say that to ourselves. Oh, I'll have a satisfied life if I worship myself. Every single Lord in the world tells you the same thing. If you want life, worship me. But we end up dead. God tells us, you've got to lose your life to worship me. And you know what happens when we do that? We end up truly alive. Part of the reason we struggle to let Jesus be Lord To make that transfer is because of our self-entitlement at times and the privilege of our circumstance. So we're also invited by God to the second transfer, to transfer our privilege. Look at how James starts the letter after saying he's a servant of Jesus. He says, I'm the brother of James. And by implication of being the brother of James and by the fact that we know that he's Jude, and we've heard earlier in the gospel accounts that Jesus had a brother called Jude. We pull all the pieces of the puzzle together and what do we get? This is Jesus' brother. But he's not identifying himself as Jesus' brother, is he? What has he said about his relationship to Jesus? Not, hey, I'm Jude, I'm Jesus' brother, check it out. Woo, I get backstage passes to all of Jesus' preaching events because I'm related to him. It doesn't get closer than that. Look at my privilege. Look at the place that it puts me in. Because we came from the same womb, man, I'm closer to Jesus than you'll ever be. It's like, no, Jude isn't saying that. Jude's coming out and he's saying, no, I'm a servant of Jesus Christ. I am the brother of James who leads the church. So that, just so you know, I've got some credibility the things I'm saying. Oh, by the way, don't forget that, you know, James is the brother of Jesus. He's, he's not afraid to let people know that there's the familial relationship there. But it's not what he's building his life on. Why? Because Jude has laid down his privilege He's like, there is no privilege that could come from a biological connection to Jesus that isn't usurped and transcended a thousand, a million, infinite fold by the spiritual privilege of trusting him as Lord. That's where the privilege comes. Think about the royal family. We've seen real challenges in the royal family recently, haven't we? We've seen Harry and, um, and Meghan going to America and, and, and laying down some of the privileges that they've had in the royal family because they weren't happy with so many things and some of the the racism in the the media that they've been talking about and some of the inter-family politics and dynamics. I don't want to get into any of that. I don't know too much about those things. But what I see when I look at, at that situation is I see someone born into the most incredible earthly privilege who has decided to walk away from it. However, in walking away from that privilege, they have also been able to go and satisfy themselves with another form of privilege, with, with, with money, with, with, a, with a Netflix deal. And I'm not saying they, they don't have the right to do that. Of course they have the right to do that. But in walking away from one form of earthly privilege, they have walked into another form of earthly privilege privilege. They are free to do what they want to do. But Judas is saying here, don't walk away from one earthly privilege only to put your hope into another earthly privilege that will never give you the ultimate privilege of the kingdom of heaven itself. There is no biological privilege, no circumstantial privilege, no wealth, no culture, no fame or fortune, no earthly privilege that can better the spiritual privilege we can have in knowing Christ as And the wonder of this spiritual privilege is that it doesn't exclude. It's not a privilege where I I get more money, and because there's a finite amount of money, as I get more, you get less. As I get more food, you get less food. No, 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 no. This is a spiritual privilege. The more spiritual privilege that I receive from the inexhaustible treasure of heaven's spiritual kingdom privilege, the more I have to personally give away on behalf of the kingdom. It gives you more as I get more, because I become a better servant of who. Jesus is calling me to be. God says, don't put your trust in any earthly advantage. Transfer your trust into trust in me and know the privilege of the kingdom. What's the privilege of the kingdom? Look at the Sermon on the Mount. It will turn out well for those who mourn, for they will be comforted. It will turn out well for the meek, for they will inherit the earth. It will turn out well for those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. It will turn out well for the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. I could go on reading that whole passage. The simple version of it is this. In other words, everything that is seen as privilege today, health, wealth, status, they will fade. But there are eternal privileges that transcend, that satisfy, that are inexhaustible and available to all who forsake the advantages of the world for the blessing of the kingdom. And one of those great blessings is the blessing of power, and that's the third transfer we're invited to make. To those who have been called, who are loved in God the Father and kept for Jesus Christ, mercy, peace, and love be yours in abundance. This is a power verse. Jude is saying here, look, if you, want to be, if you want to recognize the call of God, you can know his love and be kept in his strength and in his presence and in his power. You can be transformed. But the problem is we as humans are power hungry. Even in my own home, I'm power hungry. Give me the remote when I'm standing next to my wife Naomi and I get Netflix on. I'm power hungry. Let me pick the movies. I know better than you do Nay, which movies we should watch. And then 30 minutes into the movie, I look across the sofa and see Nae's reaction and think I've made another mistake here. Unfortunately for me and the rest of humanity, it goes so far beyond simple movie choices. We want full autonomy, full control in our lives, and Satan knows that we want this. He knows it leads us to destruction and away from God, and so in a bid to kill and crush you, because he hates you, by the way, Satan. God loves you perfectly. Satan hates you, despises everything about you. In a bid to kill and crush you, he whispers the ultimate lie in your ear. He says, you can have all the authority, you can have all the power, and you won't die you'll be fine. The lie that we see happen in Genesis to Adam and Eve, and it's the lie that he's been telling ever since. You can have all the power, you won't die. But Jesus says, all authority in heaven and earth is given to me. If you want life, you need to trust me as Lord. There is no life outside of Christ. Let go of the illusion and destruction of your own power and trust in the reality and perfection of his power. As Oswald Chambers puts it, every element Of our own self reliance or self power must be put to death by the power of God. You'll only be able to put your own power to death if you trust in God's power. The wonderful thing is, when you trust in God's power, you get the ultimate power to live as the people you were always supposed to be, the person. Look, as we make these transfers, transferring all of our rubbish lords for the true lordship of God, as we Make the ultimate transfer of transferring out all of our privilege, which is ultimately useless. It will fade for the ultimate eternal privilege of the kingdom. As we transfer our power that doesn't actually empower us, it leads us to destruction and replace it with the power of God that enables us to live as who we were supposed to be always and take that power into the world so the world can know hope. We can make these transfers receiving the lordship of Christ, the privilege of the kingdom, the power of God, and know a new hope. What is the new hope? What Jude tells us right there in the opening of his letter. He says it's mercy, peace, and love. These aren't just nice platitudes, pleasant hellos. Hello, nice grace and peace to you, mercy to you. You know, it's all very nicey, nicey, Christian. No, it's not just a nice, crazy. This is the reality of the life that you have available when you make the ultimate spiritual transfer. Mercy, peace, love, hope, and hope eternal. It's the best transfer ever where we come to God with our mess, rubbish, sin, failure, and death. Offer it to him. Why would anybody take all of that? Oh, no, stinks. No thanks. I don't want any of that. That's muck. That's why would I take that? Not only do I not want to take it from you, I certainly don't want to give you anything in return, but God takes all of that filth and that stinky stuff. And as we give it to him, he takes it and he gives us in return freedom, love, and life. It's the greatest transfer in all of eternity. How do we make these transfers? Well, let's look at the words that Jude used, that we are called by God, that we are loved by God, and that we can be kept by God. This is how we're going to respond today, and I just want to ask you to close your eyes right now, and I want you to treat today like transfer deadline day. Let's make it an exciting deadline day. Come on, let's get the deal done today. Let's live in the reality of that deal moving forward day by day by day. If you want to make that transfer today, if you need to make a transfer in any of those areas today, then we are called by God. So respond to his call. Pray these words now. God, I hear you calling me. I hear you calling me home. God, I respond to your call. I turn from my running away. Forgive me for my power grab. I hear you calling me and I want to respond and turn back to you. Jude says that we are loved by God. So thank him for his love. God, thank you. Pray this now. Thank you that you love me and welcome me back home. Thank you, thank you, thank you. That even though I try to get love from everywhere else, your love is the true love. It will never fade. It will never falter. It will never let me down. Thank you, Lord, that you love me. And finally, the Bible, Jude says, that we are to be kept for Christ Jesus. The Greek there can also be read as kept by or kept in. And it's all of those things. We are kept for, that God will sustain us for relationship in Christ Jesus, but we're also kept by Christ Jesus. What he has done on the cross makes it possible for us to have that relationship and kept in Christ Jesus. The power of Jesus is the only hope that we have to live the life, a life that will not spoil but will be perfected in eternity. So ask God now to keep you in him. God, I can't do this without you. Will you give me your Holy Spirit? That's the greatest prayer you can pray. Respond to his call. Forgive me, God. Let me come home. Thank him for his love. Oh, God, thank you that you haven't abandoned me, that you love me perfectly. Ask him to keep you in him. Lord, I don't want this to be a momentary decision today. Keep me in you day by day. Give me your power. The spiritual transfer window is open. Make today deadline day and get the deal done and live in it forevermore. Father, would you work in our lives? Would we transfer the muck and the rubbish to you? And would we know your mercy, peace, and love forevermore? Amen. Bless you. Thanks so much for tuning in today, and we will see you very soon.